0: I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Cancers of the head and neck can be devastating, not only physically, but also emotionally, as their treatment often changes one's entire appearance to the world. How are these tumors found and what can be done to treat them? Well, today in the studio, we have Dr. Luca Vesali, ENT specialist, along with Dr. Huey Nguyen, oncology expert from Kaiser Permanente. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. First in medical news, don't have a stroke, But if you do, go to the emergency room as soon as possible. In the latest issue of the New England Journal of Medicine, those with symptoms of a TIA or transient ischemic attack or even a minor stroke treated within 24 hours of the onset of their symptoms did better with the combination of clopidogrel and aspirin. They did better than those who took just aspirin alone. Now, the risk of a major stroke occurring is elevated for up to 90 days after the initial event, and thus this is the prime time to prevent another brain attack. The use of both of these medications together was not associated with a higher risk of bleeding. If you're having any symptoms of slurred speech, weakness or numbness on one side of your body, facial drooping, or any signs of a stroke, get checked out as soon as possible. There are some ways to prevent this from getting worse. Speaking of aspirin, some studies have shown daily use can prevent colon cancer, but other studies have not shown the same finding. Why the difference? Well, the journal, the American Medical Association, may have the answer. There's different genetic mutations that can result in colon cancer. Some of these can be reduced by taking aspirin daily. Others are resistant and known as mutant cancer types. This might explain the difference in findings across studies. However, more research needs to be done to see if taking aspirin daily can statistically reduce cancer cases enough to provide the benefits over the risk of the complications of taking aspirin every single day. This Saturday, it's coming up. It's the reason why we're talking about this today. There's a free screening for head and neck cancers at Kaiser Permanente Mapunapuna Clinic, and we are looking at this Saturday from 8 to 12. It's going to be on the third floor, no charge. We're going to talk a little bit about these tumors in just a few minutes. If you want to go, this is open to Kaiser Permanente members and the general public. You do need to register, though. You can call 808-432-2260, and we will mention this again throughout the show. Head and neck cancers is our topic for today. Dr. Luca Vasali, ENT expert, along with Dr. Huey Nguyen, oncology expert. You're
1: in the studio
0: today. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today.
1: Thanks for Thank having you. us.
0: All right. Well, you know, we're talking about head and neck cancers. And and first off, how common are these? Are these common events, Dr. Nguyen?
1: Um, I would say they're relatively common. I mean, if you look at all the cancers that get diagnosed in, in, in an entire year, it makes up about 3 to 5% of all cancers or about 50,000 cases a year.
0: 50,000 cases a year. Okay. Now In the U.S. In the United States. Okay. Now, uh, Dr. Luca, you're an ear, nose, and throat specialist. Why do we happen to call these particular cancers squamous cell? I mean, it's the particular way that we identify these cancers. What is it about them that makes them... Underfit into the category of squamous cell, and are you often the first person to identify
2: it? Yes, um, squamous cell uh, is the name is due to the fact that most of these cancers arise from the moist lining of the mouth or throat or the voice box, and the lining, uh, the cell lining of these areas is a cell called squamous cell. Uh, It is the same cell as the lining as the skin. Uh, However, it's it's in the this we're talking about the wet, moist surface of the mouth, throat and voice box. Now, not all of the head and neck cancers are squamous cells, uh, as we will talk about later. Uh, There are some that are uh, in the salivary glands or in the thyroid that are not necessarily squamous cells, but the large majority are.
0: Now, when we talk about these squamous cells, if somebody was looking in the mirror right now, okay, so so they're going to open their mouth and take a look in there, what might a typical squamous cell, we'll talk about squamous cell for now, what might a typical squamous cell cancer look like?
2: Well, um, they, they can assume many different shapes and colors and sizes. And so like just about anything? Yes. Uh, you, I would say that anything that looks uh, of an abnormal color, such as uh, white or red, or uh, um, if there is anything that is bleeding in the mouth, uh, anything that is un- enlarged, a lump in the mouth, or even a lump in the neck, all those will be abnormal signs. And This is a, an, an exam that a person can do routinely on their own, and if you think about it, it's one of the easiest areas to examine because somebody can just open their mouth and look inside and and see if there is anything abnormal. Now, a lot of times if you've never looked in your mouth before, uh, you may not really know what you're looking at. Uh, But if anything is, is, you know, looking abnormal, I would recommend that you have either your dentist or your general practitioner, take a look at it, and maybe something that is completely normal. But um, it is an easy exam that a person can do on their own and check their mouth once in a while and, and make sure that there's nothing abnormal there.
0: So you open up your mouth. You take a look. And, Flashlight. you know, okay, so you want to get a light. yeah. And, and you're looking in a mirror. And if you see, you know, the mouth is generally red. But if you see an area that's darker in color or if you see whitish stuff that just doesn't seem to come off and, yeah. um, you know, what about people who see spots on their gums? I mean, is everything red something to be concerned about, or is it a good idea, hey, I see some stuff I'm not sure of? You mentioned the dentist is a place Correct. to check it out.
2: Yeah, most, most uh, minor abnormalities would be um, not cancerous, and, uh, you know, the dentist exam every six months is a very good place to start, and I think, you know, seeing your dentist for just a regular checkup and having an exam with the mouth is very good. They'll usually take a look at the mouth and will also feel your neck for any lumps, and that's a, real, a place where we get a lot of patients refer from because they will find something abnormal. It may be benign, but they just send us a patient so we can examine and take a biopsy if necessary.
0: All right. Well, Dr. Nguyen, who who gets these types of cancers? Are there risk factors for people who might develop these?
1: Uh, there are very well-known risk factors for this. You know, traditionally, it's been uh, smokers and uh, heavy drinkers. You know, the, um, the risk goes up with the more smoking and... Um, and the risk goes up with more drinking, and for patients that smoke and drink, it's kind of a multiplicative risk rather than an additive risk.
0: Now, some people say, "Okay, are we just talking about smoking cigarettes? Is it cigars? Do we include chewing tobacco? All of these things, exposure as a risk?" Uh,
1: yes, yes, and yes. I think um, so. Don't do any of those. Don't really. do any of those <laughs> okay. things. But. It is interesting, you know. We do know that, and Dr. Vasali could speak to this. We do know that people who smoke smoke pipes or tobacco typically can get uh, the cancers in a different place than, say, people who chew tobacco, where frequently it's more in the, the beginning, the, the front part of the mouth.
0: Okay, Dr. Luca, what are what would be that difference if somebody has a strong smoking history and they're smoking cigarettes versus someone who's chewing tobacco? Where, location-wise, would there be a difference?
2: Chewing tobacco will be mostly in the oral cavity, which would be the mouth, essentially the tongue, the roof of the mouth, the floor of the mouth, and the cheeks. Um, somebody that smokes, uh, whether inhale smoke or tobacco or pipe, uh, e- even the people that smoke a c- a cigars uh, or pipe, they do inhale some of that smoke. Uh, and so uh, you will have higher incidence of cancers in the throat, Uh, The area we call the pharynx, which goes basically, it's this hollow, moist tube that goes from the back of the nose all the way down to the voice box. Uh, And also uh, cancers of the voice box, which we call larynx, where the vocal cords are. And one of the symptoms of that would be hoarseness, uh, which we look for.
0: So a change, if somebody were to say, you know, Auntie used to have a clear voice and now she sounds kind of hoarse and I know she smokes a lot, that might be a sign of getting something checked out. Not necessarily that she's in trouble, but if you notice that change in the caliber of your voice, if you happen to do some of those recreational activities like smoking or drinking on a regular basis, vocal quality could be a sign of concern.
2: That is correct. And so we talked about the possible signs uh, of cancer to look for. One of them is, uh, like we said, lumps in the mouth, but also the other ones would be hoarseness or uh, constant sore throat that doesn't clear for over two weeks. Uh, and one that is uh, not known by a lot of patients, but it's very important to, to remember, is pain in the ear that doesn't go away in two weeks or a fullness in the ear. The reason for that is that a lot of the nerves that uh, um, are in the throat also innervate the ear. So it's not uncommon for us to see patients that have had persistent ear pain for three to four weeks or even longer and have absolutely a normal ear exam, but they actually have a tumor in their throat which is causing the ear pain, and that's the only presenting symptom of that tumor. So ear pain that doesn't go away over a period of three to four weeks is uh, something that is uh, a warning sign and needs to be checked.
0: And so you would go see your regular your regular provider, and they might look in your ear, and you know they don't see anything wrong with your ear. You're still having troubles. Would hearing loss be another sign, or not necessarily?
2: Yes, uh, that can also be a, another sign. And the reason for that, there is an area of the throat called the nasopharynx, and basically this is the area that is uh, um, the back part of the nose where the throat starts. And um, that area has a tube called the eustachian tube. That tube goes directly to the ear, and it's the tube that allows us to clear the ear when we go on a plane. Uh, So if there is a tumor in that area, it can block that eustachian tube, and the blockage of the tube can cause actually fluid buildup in the ear, which causes hearing loss. So we'll see sometimes patients with uh, persistent hearing loss, fluid in their ear, and otherwise normal exams. To be able to examine this area of their nasopharynx, though it's a little bit more of a Uh, exam that involves a visit to a doctor like me, and uh, it would not necessarily be seen on a screening exam. So if we see something like fluid in the middle ear, then we would perform a more thorough exam in the office to examine that area specifically.
0: So if you have hearing loss and you've had your hearing checked and there is a problem And you're out of the range for which this would be possible. I mean, I would think if you are in your 70s, 80s, or 90s, and you notice a gradual hearing loss, that's one thing. If you're in your 30s, 40s, or 50s, and you notice some pretty significant hearing loss, and you don't have exposure to things that would cause that, that might be a sign of concern. Talk with your doc. They will examine your ears, potentially send you to see a specialist, and you'll discover some more.
2: Correct. I also want to add to that that uh, we're talking about a one-sided hearing loss. So usually this will happen just in one ear. So the key there is that if you have a persistent hearing loss just in one ear, and um, that's a little bit more concerning. uh, So
0: if you notice hearing loss in both of your ears, you go, what, what? No matter where you put your head, hey, that's probably both ears. But if you definitely notice a difference, that's a sign of concern. Okay. Uh, You know, uh, Dr. Nguyen, HPV. There's a lot about HPV these days, and there are some concerns about viruses that could potentially be carcinogenic. And HPV is one of them. Maybe EBV, Epstein-Barr virus, human papilloma virus. Uh, tell me a little bit about how these viruses actually relate to developing a cancer.
1: That's actually a a great question. You know, we don't fully understand this as well, but what we do know is that um, viruses such as the human papillomavirus, the HPV virus that you mentioned, have been implicated in in several cancers. Kind of the most famous example is um, uh, HPV-driven cervical cancer, where it's uh, found in virtually um, the vast majority of cervical cancers. It's also the same virus that causes genital warts, um, you know, what we believe is that uh, certain proteins within the virus itself uh, causes changes in the cells that turn off what we call tumor suppressor genes or genes that uh, are in all of our cells that whose role it is to survey and suppress um, the transition to into a cancer cell. So when you knock those out or when the virus knocks those out, um, the risk for transformation into a cancer is increased. You know, over the last... Several years, we've seen a marked increase in the number of HPV-related uh, head and neck cancers, too, uh, kind of on par with what, you know with um, what we've seen, you know, driving cervical cancers. Um, these cancers tend to be more in the what we call the oral pharynx, uh, the front of the mouth, the, the base of the tongue, less so, kind of in the larynx. And you know what distinguishes these patients is that. They are less likely to have the traditional risk factors like the smoking and the drinking. Um, The other thing that kind of distinguishes these patients is that, for whatever reason, their type of head and neck cancer typically responds uh, better to therapy and has a much better prognosis than kind of what we've considered run-of-the-mill. Head and neck cancer is associated with smoking and drinking.
0: I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We have got Dr. Luca Vaselli, ENT specialist, along with Dr. Huey Nguyen, oncology expert from Kaiser Permanente. We're talking about cancers of the head and neck. If you've ever had one or know someone who does, you can share your experience. Join us today at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. Now, Dr. Nguyen, we talked about human papillomavirus or HPV-associated cancers, there is a vaccine that is given to prevent the types of HPV associated with cervical cancer. Might that also help people with with cancers of the head and neck, or is it a different strain? Um, it,
1: it is typically the, the same strain. HPV-16 is primarily the one we see in uh, the head and neck cancers, and it's a common one we see in the cervical cancers as well. The... the uh, kind of, it's a developing field. I don't think anyone would feel qualified to say that's, an, that's a reason to get the HPV vaccine is to prevent head and neck cancer. That data is not there. I, I don't know that that's been a formal recommendation. Um, you know, primarily that that vaccine is used for the uh, uh, prevention of cervical cancer in girls and, you know, the prevention of genital warts in boys and girls.
0: Well, and it's an ad- added bonus. I mean, if you right. do happen to get this vaccination, you may not be as susceptible to the same virus causing these other sorts of uh, sorts of problems. Right.
1: Theoretically, it, it makes a lot of sense. It, uh, it's a very rational approach to go. And I think, um, you know, my guess would be that ongoing research is going to validate that.
0: Okay. We have a caller on the line. We have Lori from Kailua. Lori, welcome to The Body Show. Hello? Hello, Laurie. can you hear us?
3: Yep, thank you for, for taking my call. Thanks for um, calling. I, I have kind of a two, two-fold question. Okay. Um, my husband used to uh, dip tobacco and quit, so I want to know if he's still at risk for developing um, mouth or throat cancer. And then the second part of it is he started chewing Nicorette gum, so I want to know what
0: difference that makes and whether that also can cause cancer. Good question. So he was actually using, chewing tobacco, how many years do you know? Oh, for at least 10 years. Okay. And so you got him to quit, or he quit on his own, which is excellent. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so now he's chewing Nicorette gum, and you're wondering, does Nicorette gum also put him at risk for developing cancer? Right. Excellent question, Lori. I'm sure you are not alone in people who wonder out there. Now, first of all, you know, Dr. Luca, we've got Laurie's husband. Hey, he was doing the whole chewing tobacco thing. Is he at risk? And, you know, sometimes we talk about if you're a smoker – how long are you at risk? Because we say that if you stop smoking, sometimes that helps you to reduce your risk of cancer immediately. Here's somebody chewing tobacco. What, what sort of risk does somebody have if they've done this for about 10 years?
2: Okay. First of all, congratulations to him for stopping that. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, the, um, the studies are not out to know really how long of a period of time um, uh, you know, it takes to, to decrease the incidence of cancer in these kind of patients. Uh, but the incidence, we know, the incidence decreases yearly uh, with the time that has passed since he stopped uh, using the uh, tobacco. Um, so surveillance is very important in these patients. So, in other words, if he stopped, we say two years ago, ten it? years oh, ago, ten years ago, great. Uh, did he, he stop?
0: I'm sorry, Laurie, ten years ago. No, no or? He, he was smoking,
3: He was chewing for ten years, and he he recently quit, but then okay. has been chewing that nicotine gum. Okay, okay, so this is a recent quit. Excellent, yeah.
0: still excellent that he did it. Dr so, Luca. Yeah,
2: so I would say that uh, still he's going to be pretty much at the same risk as somebody that uh, has chewed tobacco for a long time for at least you know mm-hmm. a year or two and then gradually it's going to decrease uh, although it probably never be uh, it probably will not be at zero until about 10 to 20 years after mm-hmm. the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, mind you that these these cancers as Dr Nguyen uh, mentioned uh, occur more commonly in smokers, drinkers and chewers of tobacco but they can also be found in patients that do not do any of that. And so um, they can occur in the general population. So uh, I think it's always good to be aware of the possibility of that happening. But certainly in this case, uh, you know, uh, a little higher risk for a few more years.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, and Nicorette gum. Dr. Nguyen? Dr. Vasselli, anybody? I mean, to me, Nicorette gum, hey, listen, there's so many toxins in cigarettes and chewing tobacco. Right. The toxins are what causes the tumors, cancers, etc. What makes it addictive is the nicotine, but the nicotine isn't what causes the cancer. The nicotine is what makes you crave it. So in general... Nicotine gum, if you have to pick your poison, much better than smoking or chewing. On the other hand, there are some other cardiovascular effects on your heart and on your blood pressure that you want to be careful with. But if you've got to pick, which is the lesser of two evils, I'm going to say nicotine gum, definitely. Are you there, Lori? Yep. All right, so encourage him. He did a great job by quitting the chew. And if he has to chew the Nicorette gum for as long as he has to, to stay off of the chewing tobacco, but doesn't necessarily mean that he wants to use that forever.
3: Okay, well, very helpful information that I'm going to pass along. So thank you
0: very much. Good. Well, thanks for calling us today, Lori. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my experts today. We have Dr. Luca Vaselli, ENT specialist, along with Dr. Huey Nguyen, oncology expert from Kaiser Permanente. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about head and neck cancers, how you can check to see if you have one, and what you should do if you're worried about developing one of those because some of those things that some of us do in our lifestyle, smoking or drinking or things that maybe we want to quit. You can join us at 941-3689, Toll Free Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. It's summer, and that means time for the annual installment of Ethical Conversations with visiting Professor Will Weinstein. This year, ethics in food made the topic list. We'll find out why and why it took so long. That's tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation.
3: On New Letters on the Air, poet Valgina Mort talks about how growing up in Belarus inspired imagery of movement, migration,
2: and the exiled body. Eastern Europe is a territory where people had to move, not because they chose to, but because they were forced.
3: Listen to Valgina Mort, who reads from her book, Collected Body, next time on New Letters on the Air.
4: Tuesday evening at 6.30, following
3: Marketplace.
0: Aloha. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. We've got some experts in the studio today. We have Dr. Huey Nguyen, oncologist from Kaiser Permanente, Dr. Luca Vasali, ENT specialist, and we're talking about tumors of the head and neck. If you or someone you love have ever had this, you can share your story, maybe help somebody else along the way. You can join us on Oahu at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about human papillomavirus, the HPV association with some of these tumors. And we had a caller, Lori, who said her significant other has stopped chewing tobacco and is now using Nicorette, and has he reduced his risk? The answer is yes, he has. Hopefully, he won't go back to doing that activity again, and over a course of, Dr. Luca, you mentioned about 10 years or so, the risk does reduce significantly, maybe not to zero, but definitely does improve. Are there any other exposures or things that people have to be concerned about that put them at risk for these types of, of cancers?
2: Well, for certain rare cancers, uh, cancers of the nasal cavity, um, exposure to um, uh, it's, it's been more common. Found to be more common in uh, woodworkers, so people that uh, do a lot of woodworking uh, and do not use protection in the form of a mask. Um, long-term exposure has been associated with the risk of nasal cancer. Uh, it's a rather limited, and we, we see very few of those cases. So it's not a very common situation. Uh nut. Yes, uh so the betel nut is very important. That's uh, certain uh cultures in Asia uh use a lot of that uh and uh, um that has been associated definitely with uh, a higher incidence of oral cancer. So cancer of the mouth, tongue, um you know, the lips and uh floor of the mouth, So, all the areas of the mouth that we talked about. So that's definitely a big one.
0: Now, I've also been taking a look, and it seems like some people, particularly Asian ancestry, maybe Chinese in, in particular, uh, can put somebody at higher risk. How much higher of a risk are we talking about? I mean, is this a significant risk if you happen to have ancestry from China or, or Asian ancestry, or is it just with the additional exposure of alcohol and or tobacco, you're at a higher risk?
2: Well, now we're talking about one specific type of cancer here that is uh, found to be associated with Asian ancestry, specifically Chinese ancestry, Uh, and that is a nasopharyngeal cancer. Now, we talked earlier uh, about this cancer that occurs in kind of a hidden area in the back of the nose uh, where the the nose ends and the throat begins. Uh, And this area, for some reason, uh, has been found to have a higher incidence of cancers in in the people of Chinese ancestry. And it does not seem to... uh, to matter whether you live in china or not but is the, the uh, most likely it is a genetic type of predisposition
0: so smoke alcohol do it or not correct it doesn't matter it
2: doesn't matter correct uh, and there is a, f- a familial uh, incidence, too, where if, if there is one family member that has had one of these cancers, there is probably a 10 to 15% chance that other members of the family may develop it. So if, if you've had this kind of cancer, it's good to have your family members, siblings uh, checked. Uh, and again, this is a type of exam that uh, has to be done by a urinals and throat doctor because it's a difficult area to examine.
0: So if we do say to somebody, take a look, oh, you know, take a look in your mouth, take a look at the flashlight, see what you can see. For certain types of tumors, you can't see them even if you have the flashlight, not unless you're an expert. You're not really going to be able to visualize that area because physically you
2: can't. That's correct. I would say of all head and neck cancers, probably about 90% of them can be seen on a screening exam, which includes exam.
0: 90% of them.
2: Yes. In the mouth and the neck. Uh, but there are some other symptoms, as we mentioned, like hoarseness, changes in the voice, uh, fullness in one ear, hearing loss in one ear. Those kind of symptoms are f- flags uh, that uh, would have to be checked by a ear, nose, and throat doctor for a more thorough examination.
0: Okay. Now, when we talk about some of these areas, you know, we've mentioned a couple of different types of cancers, the nasopharyngeal cancer towards the back where the nose and the throat tend to uh, come together. We've also talked about tongue. We've talked about oral cancers. Is there any one particular area that is more difficult to treat than another area, Dr. Nguyen, if, if you have an oral cancer that you can physically see versus one that is closer towards the vocal cords. Does that change in some of the treatment recommendations that you make?
1: Uh, Well, certainly. um, You know, there are definitely areas that are more sensitive to some of the modalities we use for treatment, which we'll discuss in a bit. But I think really what determines kind of how difficult something will be treated is the the stage at which it's discovered, I think. So
0: early stage, always better. If it's already spread and you're looking at a stage 3 or stage 4, much harder to treat no matter where this started.
1: Right, and I think that's a common refrain in cancer is the earlier you detect a cancer, which is why screening is so important, kind of the less painful, the less invasive, the more successful treatment will be.
0: So don't be scared. If you see something that looks funny in your mouth, check it out with your doctor. Check it out with your dentist. Check it out and maybe see an ear, nose, and throat specialist. Now, we talk about screening. Uh, Dr. Luca, how often are we screening? Are we doing this screening every six months? Is it every year? If somebody were to say, okay, I got it checked out a couple of years ago, I was okay, is that enough or should they be screened more routinely?
2: I really recommend having the screening every six months. And I think the dental office is a perfect place to have the screened. so every six months, I think, is, is, is the best way to see the dentist. Yeah, or the other alternative is your on, on your yearly physical examination by your uh, general practitioner. They can also do that as well.
0: So you can have it checked by your regular doc. You correct. can have it checked by your dentist. Both of them can take a look. Yes, correct. Make sure you don't have a problem. Yes. All right. We have a caller on the line. We have Don calling in from Honolulu. Don, welcome to The Body
5: Show. Hi, Dr. Kozak.
0: Hello there, my friend. What can we do for you today?
5: Um, I would like to protect myself against HPV viruses for a variety of reasons. Um, not only for the cancer, I, have, I am of Chinese ancestry and I do have sinus problems. I do work with wood. And um, am I able to request my PCP to give me the vaccine, even though I'm in my 60s of age, and I understand it's traditionally limited to those age 26 and under for, like, Gardasil or something.
0: Yeah, it's a good question, you know, because when the vaccine first came out, it was first only for women of certain age groups, then they did include uh, boys and men as well in the same age group, and they are doing some studies to look to see, should we extend this vaccination? But because most of the studies have shown that it reduces the incidence of cervical cancer and genital warts, although, you know, Dr. Nguyen, you made the, the comment that it seems common sense, you could also reduce your risk of nasopharyngeal carcinoma associated with with HPV, if you had immunity, if you've already been exposed to it, or if you haven't, but it's not been studied, what would you say to someone like Don?
1: That's a very, very difficult question. I mean, uh, he's
0: got the other risks. We're talking about the Chinese ancestry. We're talking about the woodworking. It's in that area, Dr. Luca, that you said you can't really check out yourself. It would be difficult to do if you have no symptoms and you're not having the things you mentioned, the hoarseness, the plugging in an ear, the loss of hearing on one side. What th- do we tell somebody like
1: well, this? I think one of the, um, one of the, one of the reasons for why – age range exists for the the HPV vaccination is that, you know, as we um, grow older, have more experiences in life, um, have sexual partners, um, our exposure to HPV becomes fairly universal after a certain point. And so the vaccine was kind of targeted for patients who, you know, may have not gotten to that stage in their lives yet and then thus could protect themselves before they had these exposures. You so know.
0: if you have the virus exposure from any source, once you're exposed, you're exposed. That's correct. So even if your exposure is not necessarily associated with the nasopharynx or the, the head effect, and neck, right. you've still been exposed.
1: That's correct. You know, it's
0: almost like, you know, the cat's out of the bag. We're not necessarily able to provide immunity to something if it's already Cause an infection. That's that's correct.
1: Okay. And, and that, you know, and that's, you know, why the age of 26? I mean, that's kind of a fairly arbitrary number, but, it, it, you know, it had to be drawn somewhere.
0: Okay. Now, Dr. Luca, and somebody who says, hey, I don't have symptoms, but I do have Chinese ancestry, maybe I don't know my family, so I can't say if there's a family history of risk, I do work with wood. I don't smoke, I don't drink. How do we assess somebody's risks? Is this the type of person that if you develop symptoms, get checked out by a specialist? Would someone like this benefit from some of the screening that we've talked about?
2: Yeah, I think it would definitely benefit from some of the screening. Um, First of all, I would like to reassure the guests that – the, you know, nasal and nasopharyngeal cancers are very rare, even in people of Chinese ancestry. So they're, they're probably more rare than oral cancers or the other types of head and neck cancers we're talking about now. So, we're, so, um, so the chances statistically
0: are, are low. Very small. However,
2: okay. uh, it certainly needs to be aware that what the symptoms are, a persistent hearing loss, uh, nasal congestion, trouble breathing through the nose, those kind of things certainly need to be checked out. But I definitely recommend that you have a screening test. And then we can also examine some of the talk about some of the symptoms that he's having, and if he's particularly concerned, and and once we have a more more thorough checkup, I think having a once in a a complete checkup at ear nose and throat doctor where we look at the nasopharynx, we look at the nasal cavities with fiber optic endoscopes, and we reassure him that there is nothing wrong, um, it will be a good idea.
0: All right, done. So we have some information for you. Now, it just so happens this Saturday, 8 to 12, Mapunapuna Clinic, third floor at Kaiser Permanente. This is for members, non-members, open to the general public. You can actually get screened. Painless takes about 10 minutes. There are some ear, nose, and throat and oncology experts who are going to be there. And if this is something you want to do, let me give you a phone number. Are you ready?
5: Uh, I have another question. Would Would the PCP categorically reject my request for a vaccination if the vaccination is not harmful?
0: Well, it's an interesting question. You know, I think insurance wouldn't cover for it. So does that mean that you should or shouldn't do it? Not necessarily. If it's not FDA approved to get for what you'd like to get it for, you may have some issues because when we do vary from FDA regulations, and we use things what we call off-label. There may be some complications or potential side effects to that that we are unaware of or unable to predict. Um, But certainly, if it's something that you feel that inclined to do and you are willing to put through the payment for it, and if the clinic that has that particular vaccination is willing to administer it, again, knowing that this is off-label, off of FDA-recommended guidelines, then it's not unreasonable that you could go ahead and get the vaccine. I guess really the question is, would you benefit from it? And the other part of that question is, could it cause harm? And that's the only thing that we don't necessarily have data on is could this negatively affect you? But I guess step one would be be screened, because if you're concerned, there's a free screening opportunity and you could get checked out. And that's not necessarily something that, you know, you you should have to worry about doing As far as insurance is concerned, this is covered for everybody. So again, the screening is at Kaiser this weekend. You can give them a holler. About half of their slots are already full, and you can see them this Saturday. You don't have to be a Kaiser member. 432-2260. You can call and set up a time to be screened. And then when you talk with some of the experts, they can help give you some more guidance. Again, just to see if this is something that you might want to do. So thank you for your interest in calling. Excellent questions done appreciate hearing about it and hopefully you'll take advantage of the screening I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Luca Vaselli and Dr. Dr. Nguyen and we, they are from Kaiser Permanente and we are talking about head and neck cancers and we're talking about what are some of the risk factors what can you do about it if you want to join us you can at 941-3689 toll free neighbor islands eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. 877-941-3689 Dr. Wen, tell me, when we talk about some of these sorts of cancers, what are some of the treatments? I know that we've, we've, we've touched on this a little bit, but when we talk about treating it, I realize different stages are treated different ways. Once someone has identified they have something unusual, and maybe, Dr. Luca, they see you, and you agree it's something unusual, often the next step would be a biopsy. Correct. And if you determine that they do have some cancer cells present, I assume you would do a surgery to remove all those cells if possible.
2: Yes, but the treatment really depends on the site or the location where the tumor is arising from because we know that certain areas uh, respond much better to surgical treatment while other areas r- respond much better to other treatments such as radiation therapy or chemotherapy. So the location- And that's the other part of it. Okay, so yes. depending
0: on where it is, right, surgery may be indicated, surgery may right. not be.
2: Correct. Let me give you an example. Somebody comes in with a lump on their tongue, and it's a pretty, pretty small lesion on the tongue, okay? If I find from the biopsy that this is a squamous cell cancer and the, and the lesion is fairly small, uh, they may be able to do very well just with a minor surgery to excise that if they come in early and, and if the cancer is diagnosed at a very early stage. Uh, while, on the other hand, if somebody has a cancer in the nasopharynx, uh, we never do surgery for that because that responds very well to chemotherapy and radiation therapy. Uh, and also, it's a very difficult area to access with surgery, which would uh, cause a lot of morbidity uh, and dysfunction if we were to do surgery in that area. But fortunately, that area responds very well to other treatments.
1: And there are areas where you may not want to do surgery, for instance, the voice box.
0: you know. And would that be an area that might respond more to chemotherapy or radiation? Th-
1: that's correct. You know, typically, you know, if you were to generalize, you know, very, very early cancers can be treated kind of with one modality, surgery or radiation, you know, for patients who present with more advanced disease, you know, perhaps uh, with uh, having the cancer spread to the lymph nodes in their neck, perhaps um, it becomes a, a very kind of a, a very multimodality treatment. Uh, uh, we typically use a combination of chemotherapy and radiation. Um, we require multiple specialties to be involved, including um, the gastroenterologist to sometimes put in a, a feeding tube during the treatment. Um, we speech therapists during the treatment, the radiation doctors, the chemo doctors, the nurses.
0: So this is really a team approach.
1: It is. It is I would say of virtually all the cancers we take care of, it is probably the most kind of team project um, that that we do.
0: And you mentioned that you might even have somebody who has to have a feeding tube placed temporarily. Is that because some of the treatments, radiation or otherwise, might affect their ability to swallow?
1: Uh, that's correct. You know, for someone who, um, for instance, say, has a cancer in their voice box, um, you know, and the treatment prescribed would be daily radiation for, say, six weeks. Um, as they do more and more radiation, um, the esophagus or the the, the food pipe, essentially, um, it's kind of a gets collateral damage. It gets radiated as well, and patients may find it very difficult to swallow food or even drink water. And some patients require um, uh, a tube to kind of uh, a temporary tube where they can get nutrition and water and hydration uh, directly into their stomachs.
0: So that they can survive the radiation treatments, treating the tumor, and then allow the esophagus or the food area where we swallow to recover over time.
1: Right. And so once the treatment is completed and, you know, we eradicate the cancer, the the normal tissues heal again, patients start swallowing again, and, uh, you know, they don't rely on any, um, you know, tube feedings, and the tube can be removed, and they kind of hopefully go back to the way they were.
0: All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. We're talking about head and neck cancers. We have Dr. Luca Vesali, ENT specialist, along with Dr. Huey Nguyen, oncology expert from Kaiser Permanente. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this team approach and also about what risks might occur later if you survive the first episode Are you going to get another one? You can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. I really like Hawaii Public Radio. I listen to both stations because I feel enriched every time I listen. I feel like it's never a waste of time. There's always something useful. Uh, Sometimes I'll find that when the reception is going out, when I'm on the North Shore, I'll turn on the side of the road and stop driving and just listen because the program is so useful.
1: Member supported, Hawaii Public
0: Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see.
4: Times are still tough, money's still tight, so what do you do?
0: If you go for rental assistance, you go to try to apply for utility assistance or anything, they tell you, we don't have any money, go to your local churches.
4: I'm Kai Rizdal. Poverty, unemployment, and a higher power next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at six, following The Body Show.
0: Aloha! Welcome back to the Body Show. This is Dr. Kathy Kozak on the phone, on the on the airwaves here, talking with some guests that are here in the studio, and we have some callers on the line. I have Dr. Dr. Hughie Nguyen, and he is here from the Oncology Department of Kaiser Permanente. I have Dr. Luca Vassali; he is here from the Otolaryngology I like to call it ENT so I don't have my tongue twister there Department uh, of Kaiser Permanente. And we've got you listening in. And if you want to join us, you can. I got a number, 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We're talking about head and neck tumors. We're talking about things you don't want to get. But if you do, what can we do about them? And again, as always, with cancer, the sooner you find it, the better get it taken care of, and then it won't hopefully cause more troubles later. We've got a couple of callers on the line. We've got Mike from Kona. Mike, welcome to The Body Show.
4: Yeah, Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. My, my um, uh, question may be a little bit offbeat because I don't know how many uh, you know, people in Hawaii are involved with this, but it has to do with the chewing of betel nut and uh, mouth cancers. I lived in Micronesia for over 25 years, and for about half of that time I was chewing betel nut quite regularly. And um, like your earlier caller about stopping uh, uh, chewing tobacco, it's kind of the same thing. Whether there's any, uh, you know, there's heightened risk, I know, in the past. And my dental hygienist used to go nuts when she had to clean my teeth. But there are a lot of Micronesian immigrants here now, and uh, a lot of them are chewing beetle nut. I don't know if you guys ever have seen it or pay attention, but it's readily available in most places. Uh, have you have any experience with betel nut and mouth cancer? Because I, I understand that there is a, a connection, and particularly in some countries like Taiwan and elsewhere, there are active um, uh, campaigns to try and get people to, to stop chewing betel nut. Any comments on that, any thoughts about for someone who had chewed it for 14 or 15 years and then stopped? Thank you.
0: Good question, Mike. We did talk a little bit about betel nut. It is an increased risk for oral cancers. Certainly, if you can stop, don't do it because it is a risk that can cause some problems in the mouth. Same with chewing tobacco. Dr. Luca, you mentioned that sometimes depending on how you're getting the exposure to what it is you're chewing, in this case, betel nut as opposed to chewing tobacco or something else, that may determine the location of the problem.
2: That's correct. So, betel nut as we mentioned earlier is has uh, been ex- has been linked with a uh, ins- higher incidence of ca- cancer of the mouth in general, the oral cavity, so tongue, the moist lining of the of the lips, uh, the uh, gums as well as the what we call the buccal mucosa, which is basically the the wet lining of the mouth and the cheeks. Um, and so yes, uh, very similar to chewing tobacco. So, um, you know the the risk is probably increased for several years after you stop that. Uh, Uh, habit. So certainly surveillance, uh, routine examination by the dentist are very important, probably even every three months in those cases uh, until several years have elapsed from the last time uh, you have used them. That's uh, nuts. So,
0: so if uh, about five or 10 years elapsed, dental hygienist no longer wants to get on Mike for his teeth cleaning. Everything looks good. Everything seems good. Mike could take a look in his own mouth, monitor everything, get used to and familiar with what it looks like. And he he could actually, Mike, you could be the person who identifies something looking unusual or feeling weird when you touch it with your tongue that might not be so obvious but if it's been quite a few years since you've had that exposure, luckily your risk is reduced.
4: Okay, very good. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Great, great question, Mike, because we do have a lot of folks who do enjoy the beetle nuts. And if there's a way to stop it and it is associated with cancer, always a good idea. All right. We've got another caller. We've got Bob from Hawaii. Kai, Bob. Welcome to The Body Show.
3: Uh, aloha. Aloha. Uh, um, yeah, 20 years ago I was diagnosed with uh, unknown primary of head and neck squamous uh, cell, and they did a radical neck section, and a year later uh, I, I got it uh, back, and they uh, gave me 90 days of radiation, and that was pretty heavy. But I'm just wondering, um, again, this is 20 years later, uh, what do I have to look forward to from that? I'm, I'm 76 now. So it's, but in total good health, I, I guess. And, and doctors tell me I'm pretty, pretty much in the clear at this point.
0: Bob, you're awesome. 20 yeah, years it, it, ago. It's
3: amazing. I had the best, uh, treatment up at Queens. Dr. John Letter, Fantastic.
0: And he's still, I think he's still in practice, still curing yeah, people, he's saving he's lives. A absolutely buddy now.
3: And when I introduce him as uh, one of my best friends, he always looks at me. and says, "Hey, I took your saliva so glands, your hearing, I mean, your taste buds. <laughs> he took all <laughs> this how stuff. Can you call but your best friend? yeah, you
0: but." Go. You know, you're still around 20 years later. That's Great it. question. That's and you, you're one of those folks. You know, I mean, this happened two decades ago. Exactly. Are you going to have another recurrence? You had it not once. You had it twice. Yep. You had extensive treatment done for it. And you're 76 in good health. Yes. For, for yes. somebody like this, Dr. Luca, I'd say, hey, you're awesome, Bob. Enjoy your life. Don't even think it's coming back. You can't change anything if it does, but be happy that you've done so well. What would your thoughts be?
2: Yes, yeah. Um I totally agree. I think I think you're pretty much cured of the original disease that you had, um, and I just have a question for you: Do you um, do you smoke, or did you used to smoke?
3: Well, yeah, I smoked, uh, uh, be, you know, before I got the cancer, and fortunately, I stopped it when I was forty. So when I had the radiation, when I was a little over fifty. Uh, I was able to survive it without the feeding tubes or anything.
2: Okay, congratulations on stopping the smoking, but right. yeah, this that
3: was uh, and that's I think how I got it in the first place.
2: Correct. So this brings you to the next point, which is that uh, if you receive treatment, if you're a smoker and you receive treatment for head and neck cancer, but you continue to smoke, your chances of getting a second head and neck cancer are very high, up to fifty percent. And that's where we lose a lot of our patients is because they continue to smoke even after the treatment. Yeah, I can't so imagine. So the fact that you stopped smoking probably saved your life. You had a good response to treatment. Uh, you're probably completely cured of your disease. Um, and this brings me to another point. You mentioned you had an unknown primary. We didn't talk about that earlier. But um, one of the uh, parts of the screening exam is uh, feeling the neck because occasionally we find a lymph node in the neck, which is uh, biopsied and is positive for squamous cell cancer. But we do not find the source. That lymph node is actually a metastatic lymph node, which means it's, the cancer has spread to that lymph node in the neck. But the original source of the tumor is somewhere in the mouth, throat, tongue, and we have not been able to identify that. This yeah. is, this was much more common 20, 30 years ago. With the newer techniques we have now to diagnose cancers, we can, we can find this usually the, the the primary cancer where the cancer came from, uh, my, with a much higher percentage than we used to be able to. But uh, we still occasionally have the unknown primary where we find the cancer in the neck and we do not know uh, the original.
3: Well, the, what they did in treatment because uh, they didn't know, it was in my, like you say, in the gland, and they, they thought it was that the bump was a uh, infection or something. So instead of doing a biopsy or anything, they just really gave me uh, antibiotics, a treatment of that for a while, and then they... And then. My wife insisted that they do a biopsy, and that's when they found it was squamous cell.
0: All right, Bob, you've got to thank your doc, Dr. Letterer. You've got to thank your wife. Yeah, And uh, I think you need to take them all out to dinner. <laughs>
3: yeah, well, I have. All I
0: right. Well, give us a call next time, Bob. You're only in Hawaii Kai. We're down in Kaheka. We'll come yeah. join you. Okay, okay. All right. Well, thanks so much for calling and sharing your experience with us today. Really, it helps to know here's somebody 20 years later who has done so well because you persisted, your wife persisted, you got it checked out, taken care of, and now look, 20 years later, you got new best buddies and best friends. All right. What a what a wonderful success story, guys. This is, this is why you're in the profession you are, Dr. Luca, Dr. Nguyen, because you can help people to call in and say, 20 years from now, that, you know, you helped save their lives. So so thanks to all of you guys. We've got another caller on the line. We've got Pat Collin from Honolulu. Pat, welcome to The Body Show.
4: Aloha, Dr. Kozak. Great show.
0: Aloha. Thanks for calling in today. What can we do for you?
4: I just had a question. I've been a um, sort of fairly regular user of nasal decongestant sprays for the past uh, two, three years. Um, And I, I, I notice in the bottle sometimes it'll say don't use for more than three days, I was talking to another person, a friend of mine, who was saying, yeah, the reason for that is they if you overdo it, abuse it, whatever, it weakens your system, could lead, make you susceptible to uh, you know cancer. And I, the discussions earlier about the nasal cancer got me thinking, like, eh, I wonder if that's true or not. So I thought I'd just check with the doctors and see um, you know, if there's any, any truth to that at all.
0: Great question, Pat, because I bet you're not the only one who uses these over-the-counter decongestants. You know, boy, when you've got an infection or when you've got allergies and you've got all these troubles, sometimes they give you this immediate relief that you just crave and and you want to keep using it. And I've known some folks who have used those sorts of decongestants, unfortunately, for a long time. Now, Dr. Luca... Cancer is the risk, or is it just that you become somewhat dependent on it, or do you change the blood vessel caliber in your nose? I haven't heard about the cancer risk, but I've heard about the other issues with nasal vasoconstriction and and other problems. Uh, We've got an ENT specialist here, Pat. We're going to ask him. What do you think?
2: Correct. Uh, No incidence of cancer, but what you mentioned is exactly right. So after three days, uh, what, what the spray does, it, it visoconstricts the blood vessels in your nose. So it shrinks all the little vessels in the nose. So your brain thinks that you don't have enough blood supply in your nose. And all of a sudden, you're bringing new blood supply in there. Within three days, uh, the nasal lining becomes very congested because you have all these new blood vessels growing there. And that's where the uh, kind of so-called addiction comes in. You cannot do without it. But the more you use it, the more congested you're going to be. So it's it's very, very important to follow the guideline. Never use a spray for more than three days. Now, that spray is magical when you have a very bad cold and you use it once or twice a day for two or three days. But you do have to stop after that because it becomes very, very addictive after that.
0: No risk of cancer, but definite risk of getting stuck on that inhaler and growing all these new blood vessels. And I mean, could you, have you ever seen something, Dr. Luca, where somebody had used it for so long, they grew so many new blood vessels that they were chronically congested no matter what?
2: Oh, we see that very often. And it's one of the common reasons why we have to do nasal surgery to uh, to decrease aligning and to so be able to, so for the patients to be able to breathe better.
0: All right. Well, great question, Pat.
2: Yeah, no, good, good good, information too. Thanks
0: very much. All right, thanks for calling us today. Well, it was, you know, curious because here we are with somebody who's heard, hey, this exposure to something you can buy over the counter can actually cause you to have a problem with cancer. Now, in this case, a nasal spray, but when we think about what actually is a risk for head and neck cancers, it's it's much easier to get than that. We're talking about, you know, cigarettes and alcohol. They're almost ubiquitous. You can go to the food store here, you can buy Alcohol, I think you I, – I I, don't know. Can you buy cigarettes in the food store? I think you can. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm a non-smoker, so I, yeah, I wouldn't really sure. know. But, you know, you, we have availability and accessibility of all these things. I'm curious, uh, Dr. vaselli, a couple of uh, months back, maybe a year or so, the FDA was thinking of putting these really wonderful, disgusting pictures on cigarettes of of tumors that people can get and uh, destruction of their mouth and stomas and all these sorts of things. In other countries, you actually can see these photos on packages of cigarettes. That never really made it past the, uh, the phase here in the U.S. where we were doing it. Do you think that would be helpful? I mean, you see all these gross things all the time and it's probably hard to gross you out, Mm -hmm. you know, but for somebody else who wants to continue smoking, looking at a visual representation of what could happen to their mouth.
2: It's really hard to say, but uh, it would scare me. Yeah, I I think I think it it would be helpful. That's just my personal opinion. But the more you can do to scare somebody out of smoking, uh, then I think I I would recommend it.
0: All right. So if you're out there, (laughs) you know, a smoker, you want to do them a favor scare them from smoking. Now, uh, Dr. Nguyen, do you see a lot of folks who, you know, whether it be had a neck cancer or, you know, lung cancer is another thing we talk about. Do you see people who smoke despite their treatment?
1: We do, unfortunately. You know, I I would say that smoking is one of those things that touches on every field of medicine, whether you're a cancer specialist, ear, nose, and throat, a cardiologist, primary care. Um, It really is a major public hazard. Um, You know, that being said it 's also extremely addictive, and you know there have been patients that I have taken care of uh, that have you know gone through surgery for either head and neck cancer a lung cancer chemotherapy, radiation, and continue to smoke and you know I think they they understand that it 's not the right thing to do, and they um, you know still have trouble with it and you know I think because of that you know we've been we've tried to be very good about giving them every possible um option out there to help them with making that transition from becoming a smoker to a quitter to a long-term non-smoker.
0: Sure, we've got the nicotine patch, we've got Nicorette gum, like one of our callers mentioned that her husband uses. They now have electric cigarettes and all these different sorts of things. I'll be honest, I almost feel, you know, I feel sympathetic, like here's somebody who has cancer. And at this point, they're like, listen, I've already got a tumor. If the only joy in my life is this puff of smoke, I'm just going to go for it. I can understand where they're coming from. I just, I wish it was easier.
1: Well, I I think, you know, that's, it's somewhat a different population you know for someone who had a cancer uh was successfully treated the cancer is highly related to smoking you know you're kind of doing the um you know playing russian roulette again and again and again um you know i think that the discussion somewhat becomes a little different if it's a patient for instance with a terminal incurable cancer i think it's a, it's a it's a, a different um stance you would take very
0: true sure so that if you have a cancer that you're treating with expectation of recovery and yet you're doing something that is so detrimental to the treatment let alone the recovery you know certainly that's different than if you have a terminal illness absolutely agreed now we did you know our our other caller our our buddy bob who's going to invite us all to dinner bob if you're listening out in hawaii you know he had an unknown primary and then he had a secondary recurrence if you have an episode of a head or neck cancer uh, Dr. Luca, you mentioned you're at a 50% greater risk if you continue to smoke to get another recurring cancer. What if you quit? What are the chances of getting another cancer if you treat it, you are considered treated, and and I don't want to say the word cured, but maybe we'll say that. Are you definitely going to get it again?
2: No, not definitely. Uh,
0: could you go 20 years like our buddy Bob? You can. You could absolutely. go a lifetime?
2: You can go a lifetime without it. We have a lot of cures, you know. I, Head and neck cancer, depending again on the staging, uh, what, in the initial presentation, but uh, we uh, we have a lot of success stories in head and neck cancer, and it's uh, uh, we really have made big strides, and we we uh, either with surgery or especially chemotherapy, radiation therapy. Now, it's on the HPV-related you know, tumors, there has been a lot of improvement in the in the cure. And so there is that are very very good opportunities for cure, and I think the most important thing we stressed here is the early screening, finding out tumors when they are when they're early early onset
0: and we talked about screening now there is an opportunity this saturday it's coming up. It's uh Saturday, July thirteenth, Lucky thirteen. It's from eight AM to twelve PM. It's at the Mapuna clinic on the third floor. Uh Dr. Vaselli, you'll be there? Yes. You'll be doing some of the screening. It takes about ten minutes. It's painless. You you don't have to expose any body parts. You're just looking at neck and right. in the mouth. Um it's about half full. So if you're interested, it is at Kaiser, but it doesn't have to be done. Just for Kaiser members, the general public is invited. And you can go there, register, just to let them know you're going to be showing up. It is on Oahu. It is at 808-432-2260. Dr. Nguyen, one of your colleagues, is going to be there as well. Oncologist?
1: Uh, I think Dr. Beale and myself will both be oh, there. you'll both
0: be there. So you want to meet our guests today. You'll have an opportunity to do that and also to screen for head and neck cancer. Again, it's painless. Early screening is the key to early detection and definitely the key to the cure. And the last couple of thoughts, Dr. Nguyen, don't smoke, don't drink, just don't do it.
1: That's correct. And, you know, I think what what really should be stressed is The earlier you find it, uh, the more successful the treatment will be, and the less morbid and difficult the treatment will be.
0: All right. Well, we heard it from the experts. Dr. Luca. Dr. Huey, thanks so much for being here with us today on The Body Show.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Dr. Luca Vasselli, ear, nose, and throat specialist, along with Dr. Huey Nguyen, oncology expert from Kaiser Permanente. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer doctor is David Chung. our executive producer, Bethany Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk about hepatitis and what went on with all those that's going to be here on The Body Show Monday at 5. Don't forget, screening this weekend at Kaiser. Give him a holler. Thanks for joining us on The Body Show.